With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the AI Premier League Preview Pod. Uh, joining me tonight to discuss Liverpool's stroll into the Champions League quarterfinals and uh, the small matter of uh, Manchester United versus Liverpool this weekend, uh, our AI writer Sam Evans and freelance writer and host of the Talking Tactics podcast, Carl Anker. Evening, guys. Hello. How are we Evening, all? Harry. How are we all? Just watched, uh, watched Spurs uh, fall short against Juventus, I'm sure, but um, yeah, got plenty to talk about tonight, obviously, and um, as, as tempting as it is to talk about Champions League, and I'm sure we're going to sort of veer onto it. I wanted to start with United uh, and Carl bring you in, really. Um, so a last minute sort of like uh, stunner from Matic that saw you guys come from 2-0 down to overcome you know, Roy Hodgson's really courageous uh, Crystal Palace side um, and, and jump back into second place, really, just two points above us now. Um, I guess what I want to ask, and we'll touch on recent performances as well, but um, having adopted such a conservative-like approach um, at Anfield earlier in the season, um, it's going to be interesting to see what you guys uh, uh, do this weekend, or perhaps it won't be surprising at all. We'll get onto that for sure. But um, just first and foremost, I mean, after such a poor start against Palace, uh, what are you making your response, and how have sort of recent performances been? Lucent's performance has been poor. I think uh, Manchester United, what little balance Manchester United had going forward uh, has been undone by the signing of Alexis Sanchez. Um, I think there's this massive question marks over Paul Pogba and how to get best get the best out of Paul Pogba. There's been loads of feuds around about whether or not Mourinho likes Pogba, whether or not Pogba enjoys playing with Mourinho. Um, there is a smaller question over what United offer from their fullback positions. Uh, and and there is the, the question of what on earth is Chris Smalling doing there? Uh, I think <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's an interesting matchup because much like how basically Manchester City's dominance has put so many of the big matches post-January in the shade. So, obviously, last weekend we had uh, Manchester City versus Chelsea, which should have been a potential six-point title decider, which basically got played out as a very poor boxing match. And we're going to keep getting loads of matches going forward to the end of the season, which if Manchester City hadn't been so dominant at the start of the season, or if we hadn't had this weird capitulation from all the other top six slash top five sides would have been quite interesting. Um, and I feel as if, you know, there is there are two points behind Manchester There are two points between Manchester United and Liverpool. And if Manchester City won there, this would be an, an amazing who dares wins game of football. Whereas what you have now is 
a game where Mr. Mourinho is probably very, very happy to play for a draw. And if Klopp wins or draws, I don't think it would particularly matter in terms of his season. I think Liverpool now are destined for bigger and better things that are to do with the Champions League rather than to do with bragging rights over a local rival. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm pretty sure no one's going to admit that, uh, for least of all Klopp, especially in the press conference, things like that. So um, I'm sure he's sort of desperate to get one over on Mourinho, having sort of been stifled in the past, or at least in sort of the recent fixtures that that we have had um, against one another. But, I mean, you mentioned like a bunch of different topics there. I think we're going to come on to them, maybe focus on them individually as well. But that that first one, you mentioned sort of balance. I mean, obviously, City's sort of performances this season have, yeah, as you mentioned, thrown every, everyone else seems to be sort of pale in comparison. But you are, you are second in the table. So <clears throat> I'm sure Mourinho would say to plenty of his critics, you know, look where we are. You know, if it weren't for this sort of phenomenal performance, we'd be on track to be competing for a title. You can't criticise me too heavily, but you mentioned a lack of balance. Has there been any sort of fluidity um, from you guys this season? I mean, even before we mentioned sort of Sanchez. I think you know, the Paul Pogba injury in November really threw a spanner in the works for Manchester United. So I think, um, you know, United were beating teams 4-0 quite frequently. Uh, Paul Pogba and Mkhitaryan were linking up particularly well. Um, so you had Pogba in uh, this, what they call the free eight position with Kevin De Bruyne, where he's not quite box to box and not quite a 10, but has a lot of uh, freedom in the in the last two thirds of the pitch. So Pogba was doing that. He was linking up well with Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan was getting quite a lot of assists. Then Pogba does his hamstring. He's out for six weeks. That puts far too much pressure on Mkhitaryan to create a lot of nothing. Mkhitaryan can't handle that pressure. Mkhitaryan eventually gets ghosted away. Um, and and then ever since then, United have struggled to create chances with any real fluency. You get the occasional sparks of brilliance from Martial um, and you get the occasional Nemanja Matic or Antonio Valencia absolute stunner from 30 yards out. But there is no orthodox right person playing on the right side of the pitch, whipping in crosses, the sort of stuff that uh, Lukaku feeds off of. Lukaku very often is isolated um, and, and we still haven't figured out what Pogba does or like the best way to get stuff out of Paul Pogba. Um, this whole Scott McTominay stuff is very, very I want to say interesting but I think a better word for that is bizarre and it it seems as if obviously if, if you're playing, you know, People listen to this podcast play a lot of FIFA. They play a lot of football manager, I imagine. If you're in a situation like this, this is the time where you blood the youngsters because you've got your top four positions in there. You're playing a couple of competitions. And now is the time where you blood your, your 60 to 70 rated kid from the academy and see what they can do. Um, and it's not quite coming together. You're not really understanding what's going on with Manchester United right now. I think the one I really particularly bring up is Luke Shaw. So Luke Shaw should be... Manchester United starting left back. Yeah, he, um, he did not look good against Palace. He did not, but this is the very interesting thing about what Manchester City have done to the Premier League. If all United have to play for is the top four positions, and if Manchester United have a considerable gap between Chelsea and fifth, then surely now is the time 
you give game time to those players who are who you want to kick on for next season. And I think this is also similar to Liverpool right now. I think Liverpool right now, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United right now should be playing the systems and the players they want to get on for next season. So if you're Liverpool right now, your whole thing is who's going to be the two players in the middle of midfield for when Naby Keita comes along? Because Keita's going to get one of those slots. So now you're going to go, is it going to be Georgie? Is it going to be, are you going to try and convince Emma Chan to stay? Are you going to try and get uh, Lallana to do whatever? Like, that's what you want to figure out right now. For Manchester United, it should be, who's going to be your back four? Is it going to be Lindelof? Is it going to be Smalling? Is it going to be Jones? Is it going to be Shaw? And the questions that Reno is asking aren't particularly good ones. And I find that very, very frustrating. And against Palace as well, I think one thing that sort of people sort of highlighted after the game was that um, it, it was a, it was a poor start to the game. Obviously, you guys rescued it um, pretty dramatically late, late on with Matic's sort of that wonder strike. <laughs> but uh, I mean, in terms of like um, poor starts in general, has has that been like a common theme um, at least you know, in, into twenty eighteen? It, it, it seemed like you, you you've had some sluggish starts, especially once. Uh, Sanchez has been tried to be incorporated into the team. Oh yeah, I I, I went to Wembley for the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Manchester United game where oh, yeah. Christian Eriksen scored after something forty five seconds, and it's it's very interesting what's going on with Manchester United right now, where because City pulled away so quickly and because for such a long time the rest of the top four hadn't got their acts together, so. Uh, Liverpool particularly only really started looking like a top tier team after the 4-1 defeat to Tom Hotspur uh, Tom Hotspur had their own little mini blip Chelsea have had, are going through their mini blip right now, Arsenal have been Arsenal um, United have been safely in const in that second place position and I think that's led to a little bit of complacency for Manchester United, I think there's a lot of uh, you know, we don't mind drawing 1-1. Obviously, during the Christmas spell, United particularly they drew 1-1 against um, Leicester City. They had that very, very bizarre victory over Watford away from home. Uh, there, there does seem to be a lot of sleepy 15 minutes at both sides of the half. So the very, very sleepy, the initial 15 minutes in the first half and the 15 minutes in the second half. And you're wondering what is being said of what's going on within Manchester United. I'm, I'm very worried about Manchester United and I'm very encouraged by what I see from Liverpool. I think Liverpool have every right to be considered as title challenges for next season. I think Naby Tate is going to come along next season and he's going to fix whatever problem you have in midfield. I think another season of Van Dijk is going to be great and I think Loris Karius has turned the corner as well. Um, Already yeah. throwing the compliments out there. We're not even sort of at that stage yet <laughs> in, in, in terms of covering Liverpool. But I mean, it's, it's sort of weird then. I mean, if you think about what Mourinho teams have been associated with and almost to his own downfall, it's like brutal amounts of organization and, and, mm. and, and, and mental focus. Like so often you can like remember his teams, maybe, maybe, maybe of the past now, but like, you had to sort of earn your right to play against them first because they really just, just gra- they, they ground you down and then and, and that's when he so, sort of allowed the creative talents to to express themselves. I mean, you mentioned Pogba and how people haven't really sort of they haven't sort of managed to solve the question. Obviously, at Juve, he played a lot off the left and that was his sort of best position. 
You mentioned earlier in the season he had some sort of false um, eight position, um, the one that sort of Kevin De Bruyne has really made his own this season as well, um, in terms of having the freedom to roam around a little bit. But um, this this so called rift between him and uh, Mourinho, uh, do you mind sort of explaining a, a little bit about what that's supposed to be around? And is it your is it your, your sort of typical creative midfielder wants to express himself? Mourinho doesn't like to allow creative players to express themselves without doing huge amounts of work as well. Um, yeah, the best way, I, um, as you can tell by my many ums and ahs, I can tell you what I know and I can tell you what has supposed to have been said. Um, so allegedly when Paul Pogba became available from Juventus and was given the option of many top clubs in Europe, um, one of the compelling arguments that was given to him to return to Manchester United was the fact that Manchester United wouldn't necessarily block him out from another super club later down the line. Um, so it is a lot easier to go from Manchester United. It's a lot easier to go from Juventus to Manchester United to Real Madrid than it is to go from Barcelona, from Juventus to Barcelona, then to Real Madrid or from uh, Juventus to Paris Saint-Germain, then to Real Madrid, or to, from, Real Madrid, from Juventus to Real Madrid and then to PSG. Um, due to the odd way of European clubs having a hierarchy, if you still believe that Barcelona and Real Madrid are right at the top, um, you want to map your route to that way. You want to map your route to that top, and you, Manchester United are a very good stepping stone. It used to be Arsenal, now, now Man United work well, because they didn't finish very highly the season before. Um so there was always, there's always that. There is always that very weird suggestion that eventually, I think this works for every top player, that every supposed top club, that eventually you want, your player will want to set, will go, I want to go to Real Madrid. Um, so there's always that weird belief in the back of the mind. And then there is... The he's not really earned that belief yet, has he? He's, he's, he's not. He's not proven what needs to have been proved, albeit... All the sort of intangibles around Mourinho. I'm not going into like a Sunez rant about you know he doesn't do enough, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but he really hasn't shown enough. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, for example, he moves to Real Madrid. You get that. He's he's, he's torn things up. Whereas Pogba, he's had his moments and the, the talent's clearly there. But as you mentioned, he's he's not proven himself yet. He's not. But but the the interesting thing about Pogba is the argument. And the reasons as to why he should have gotten those moves are, are you know are there for everyone to see. So uh, if you're a Paul Pogba fan, your argument is he absolutely should have led that France team to the Euro 2016 trophy. Like Didier Deschamps completely gets the formation wrong in the final and pairs him with Musa Suzoko in the middle of the park rather than someone like Matuidi, um, and then. That's one notch of Pogba's potential. And then he's playing Mourinho. Mourinho's put him in a midfield two with uh, Marouane Fellaini rather than playing him in a midfield three with competent midfielders. And that's taking another notch of his potential. So if you're Paul Pogba, you're going, I am supposed to be the most expensive non-Neymar, non-whatever, whatever, whatever footballer in the world. And I'm being constantly misused by managers that don't know my true skills. I'm being constantly called XYZ in the press for for reasons like this. Um, why should I persist in this system? Why should I persist doing these things? Uh, and 
again, a lot of this is less of what we know and more what we're supposed to have been told in things on red top newspapers and certain uh, entities on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But there is a there is a compelling argument to it. Paul Pogba is a phenomenal player, and Paul Pogba is one of the most talented players I've ever seen live and on television. And what Paul Pogba can do, the 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 variety of his uh, skill set is often to his detriment. Um, and just because he can do everything, he shouldn't be asked to do everything. And I think, especially in you know your Sunesses, your your, your Paul Scholes, and your Gary Nevilles, are saying some very particular things about Paul Pogba having to do more defensive work. And I think a lot of that comes from one, you know, prima donnas only prima donnas don't want to do defensive work, and two, because Paul Pogba has all of the athletic attributes to do amazing defensive work. He's incredibly good at trapping the ball. He's really, really good at shrugging off a centre midfielder. In the in the Chelsea game, especially, he took Kante round the corner for a quick conversation. He took Fabregas around the corner for a conversation. He's really, really good at just grabbing the ball, dominating it, capturing it, and spreading it in the middle third. And you want to, it'd be nice if he did more of that. However, the team is not best suited by him doing that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you want to get him closer to the goal in that weird free eight position doing Kevin De Bruyne stuff. But to do that, you want to, you have to build a team around him. And the annoying thing for Paul Pogba is ever since he's left Juventus, and well, one, what, until his final seasons at Juventus, the team wasn't built around him. The team was largely built around Andre Perlo. Uh, and for two, I don't understand why Mourinho is refusing to build this team around him. I don't understand why yeah, if you're Paul Pogba, you're going to Jan- the January transfer window has just happened and you've just seen your manager for no reason other than he can buy another player out, you know, who they don't particularly need, give them the same amount of money you're on. And then you're like, well, build a team around me. Don't build a team around this guy. You just brought in for no reason other than to stub the other manager in the eye. Yeah, that's the point, um, isn't it? In terms of, I think, over the sort of past couple of seasons, past couple of years, really, if you think about your transfer policy and the <clears throat> sorts of players who've come in, you bought loads of players who I would say that other teams would build themselves around. So you, you think <clears throat> about Lukaku, you think, how do, how do you get the best out of Lukaku? So, well, you, you probably need to build around him and play to his strengths. Which you're not, you're not automatically geared to do. You think all the way back to Di Maria as well, and think about yeah, what you're going to do to get the best out of him. Play to his strengths. Mkhitaryan, get the best out of his strengths. Um, Matter to a lesser extent. You, then you got mm-hmm. Pogba, uh, and then of course brings us on nicely to the most recent addition uh, in Alexis Sanchez. What's been sort of fans' general reaction to him? Then obviously it's great fun to sort of ruin Arsenal a little bit more and and <laughs> this season's been like a, a a real exercise in that it seems but um uh, other than, than that sort of like one-upmanship and um and the fact that he's he's clearly a talented player um what's been sort of the fans reaction to his his arrival and how many issues has he sort of thrown up in terms of just, just stifling the way you play uh it, it was it was fascinating the the Alexis deal because it, it went from I, th- I feel as if during the transfer window, a lot of you, there was a good section of United fans that got so excited about the idea that we were going to steal a player from Manchester City and also poke one in the eye of Arsenal that we kind of forgot that we didn't need him. Um, uh, I wrote an article for Republic of Mancunia 
uh, a great Manchester United uh, blog and website, and, and essentially proves the point that we don't need Sanchez, but it would be nice. The the best possible case scenario of Sanchez being there in how he can improvise and do stuff off the back of his own back, and how his uh, you know head down, working really really hard, training really really hard mentality could really help some of the youngsters could kick on United to a new level. That would be the best case scenario. What's happened is we've got a player who is being played not to his strengths. So, you know, this guy, you know, he played on the left against Crystal Palace, which meant he always had the cut inside, which meant he was running down a lot of blind avenues and losing a lot of possession, which which unbalanced the team as well. Alexis Fikirin has also disrupted Martial, who I still think is Manchester United's most naturally talented attacking player. Uh, it's curved the minutes of Marcus Rashford, which isn't being spoken enough. I think the whole Scott McTominay experiment has sort of quietened down the whole well, Marcus Rashford is getting minutes. Um, and it, it's, it's causing a lot of problems because not only is Sanchez playing on the left and offering very little going forward, but Sanchez is, I, I don't reluctance to track back cause a lot of problems to left back, um, which in this case, the left back very often is Ashley Young, who is not a natural left back, which means there is plenty of space for a very, very good side to attack down the left flank of Manchester United. Uh, Tom Hotspur exploited this fantastically in the 2-0 victory at Wembley, where every single time there was space, Trippier would just peel off Ashley Young and then find himself as an extra man. And this is, this is a real worry uh, for this week's game because you've got I'm assuming Robinson playing at left back, who very, very talented left back. Um, and on the left for Liverpool up front, I'm assuming you're going to be playing a certain Mohamed Salah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Salah's probably going to be. Yeah, Salah's probably going to be on the right. So you'll you'll have what Mane you you'll have you'll have Mane and uh, oh, and, yeah, and, loads and, and Robertson, which is <laughs> which, which is not much easier. Yeah. So you, I mean, I mean, you mentioned that Sanchez, and I think. The little I've seen of him since he, since he signed as well, it, it's very much that latter day Arsenal Alexis Sanchez, like very much like emphasizing the name, um, mm-hmm. not prepared to do any sort of work. He's he's arrived. It's him. Things should work around him. And, and, and what's quite interesting as well, I think, is that um, in terms of how how he's been playing as well, he. I saw people sort of compare his arrival in in a way to Van Persie's arrival. Obviously, the Arsenal thing as well. But um, yeah, people saying that you're getting somebody who's you know, towards the end years of his career, the peak years. He he should should just come in and have instant impact. But with that Van Persie deal, when you think about when he came in, Ferguson really did gear everything around getting the best out of what mm. was left out of Van Persie, and there was a hell of a lot left for about a season or two. Um, whereas Sanchez, yeah, he's just joined this other sort of cabal of players who are all sort of you know, desperately sort of crying out for some sort of direction, some clear direction. You mentioned some of the other ones there as well in Martial and, um, and Rashford. And um, even to a lesser extent, someone who's had a great season this year as well, Je- Jesse Lingard, who's another young player who's you know, just had a good season because he's, he's forced his way to you know, be in the manager's plans w- with some important goals, with some big moments. But you don't really get the impression that there's a there's much of a plan for him there. Um, so, I mean... Talking about your position in the league, then, and, and there have been some big wins this season. Um, 
for Mourinho playing that sort of more conservative, more measured approach. You mentioned how City have skewed things as well. In these big games, I, I remember I spoke to you about it before in terms of like you start to dread the big games because Mourinho never gives you the sort of performance or type of mm. performance that you want from Manchester United based on all the great stuff from the past and, and, and how you used to play in the sort of marauding, um, like attacking style you were famous for under Fergie. But um, do you think about sort of that narrative? I mean, do you think he's ever going to be open in, in, in games like this, even with the excuse that you gave him at the start there about, about the way City have skewed the season and he doesn't need to be expansive this weekend? But is there not an emphasis on uh, the manager of Manchester United to try and you know, be brave and, and, and play attacking football at home uh, against Liverpool? Um, I don't think so anymore. It's gone. Uh, isn't this, it? is one those, this is one of those weird ones where, strangely, your question relies a lot on Louis Van Gaal. So Louis Van Gaal, Van Gaal ball at Manchester United. I don't think anyone put attacking football. It was very um, unorthodox. Uh, it was relied on a lot of sterile possession. Um, but to his credit, Van Gaal used to defeat. Liverpool quite often in that weird footballing style he used to do. Um, and I think if Mourinho did one of those performances where he shut up shop, beat you 1-0 from a Nemanja Matic uh, header from a corner, I think United fans would be happy. I think United fans are less concerned about this game and in isolation and more concerned about the compound effects it might have for their Tuesday tie against Seville. So if Manchester United lose this and then lose in the Champions League in the same week, then the meltdown begins. If it's simply a case of Manchester United draw against Liverpool and then go through to quarterfinals of the Champions League, I think this will be forgiven next month. Because, yes, having nothing to play for should encourage Mourinho to go on the front foot, but also having nothing to play for would also what we know about Mourinho would probably encourage me to be to play his usual conservative style and be like, well, if we play for the draw, we secure second, we don't get embarrassed, and we have to prepare for a Champions League game, which is a game we're probably uh, occupied with. Uh, and this, this is a particularly annoying thing about Mourinho. There is, I can't think of a, in, uh, a game of football against an opposition where unless it is the second leg of a Champions League tie and they're a goal down, where Mourinho has enough incentive to go and play football on the front foot anymore because he is, by design, an intensely pragmatic and negative football manager. No, yeah, I think I think you're right. And, and if you think about the success that he's managed to achieve by employing those tactics, I mean, why would you, why would you ever change? I mean, you, you could argue the game's eventually passing him by little by little um, but uh, I mean then there's the so, sort of points total that he, he's managed to accrue so far and, and he'll always point to the league I mean in terms of sort of what you've made of Liverpool this season though, you, you mentioned some of the positives that, and the way in which you think we're heading um, what have your general thoughts been I mean it's, it's, it's sort of bad I guess to ask a <laughs> United fan so what do you think about Liverpool's you know rosy future but um uh, I guess sort of touch upon that, but but then also, I mean, what's been your worst sort of nightmare <laughs> looking ahead to this sort of game based upon how we have been doing? I mean, Salah obviously obviously comes to mind. 
Yeah. Um, it reminds me, obviously, that the headlines are going to Mo Salah and his phenomenal performance since this season and, and how he's scored a, uh, a frankly ridiculous amount of goals considering he's not a striker. But it, do, it does remind me a bit of uh, latter-day Alex Ferguson in how your wide players... So Alex Ferguson, you know, Alex Ferguson prided Manchester United on wide players and dominating teams with fast-flowing attacking, counter-attacking football. Um, but in these latter stages, Alex Ferguson, I don't know whether it was by accident or by design, very rarely would one winger be in form at the same time for Manchester United. So you'd have three weeks of Nani being the best winger, then Afshu Young would take over and be the best winger, and he'd be there for and so forth. And I think Klopp has found a way to do that on the quiet at Liverpool this season, um, which has lessened your injury problems. Um, so I think after last season, where you were doing really well and challenging for the title, and then uh, Mane had to go away for African Cup Nations, and then you dropped, fell off the pace a bit. I think what Klopp's managed to do now is find a way to rotate and balance and keep uh, a number of different elements in the squad playing really well. So there is no real dip in performance. So I think something that's coming into something that we will be talking about in the weeks to come is basically how Sadio Mane is going to start scoring a lot more goals. Um, like Salah, people are beginning to figure out how Mo Salah plays. People are beginning to figure out Mo Salah is an incredibly dangerous guy. Yes, he's got a lot of strength. Yes, he can shoot both left foot and right foot and he's dangerous in the counter attack. But we're beginning to forget how good Sadio Mane was last season. And I think he's going to start getting a lot of goals. I think um, Oxley chamberlain I mean, considering how much we mocked him for going from Arsenal to go sit on the bench at Liverpool and now seeing how he's playing for a Champions League quarter-final team and is now playing for second place in the Premier League while his old club is basically stuck in the stick. And playing in the position as well. And playing in the position he wants to do. I think that says a lot about Klopp and how he has managed to turn around a talent who is meandering a bit in record speed. Um, Jordan Henderson was having a particularly poor season until his injury and now has come back and he's had two or three good, I'm going to say great, good performances. Um, how you fix a problem with left-back this season is particularly commendable. How Loris Karius has is slowly beginning to make the Liverpool spot, number one spot his own. And, and how seamlessly Virgil van Dijk's got in and how the fact that, you know, we haven't talked about Lovren in a while. There is a lot to admire about this Liverpool side. Everything Klopp is trying to get his players to do makes sense. And I think they're really going to be there or thereabouts come the end of next season. And that frightens me. That's a Manchester United fan, frankly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it does it, it, it does look positive. And as you mentioned, there, some of the recruitment's been really, really on point in, in terms of... you. Even the likes of Karius and improving his worth, Van Dijk, Salah, and and, and and so you you just wonder. Even though we know of the guy's talents, you you do just wonder um, just how big Cater's impact is going to be next season as well. So, um, th- thanks so much, Kant, as it's sort of giving us sort of the insight on United. There, I'll, I'll bring you back in just towards the end so we can do the, all all the big matches, sort of preview stuff. But right, so Sam, uh, bringing you back in into the Champions League quarterfinals, uh, first time in nine years. So. Um, despite sort of the 
the stroll that it was against Porto in that, in that second leg. Um, and, and my God, it was dull. I did I did a post match pod afterwards, and Lord knows how I managed to find about an hour's <laughs> sort so, so of commentary on that. But um, I, I don't think we should be sort of uh, casual about it. It's a, it's, it's a massive achievement, obviously, for the club, and um, things are heading in the right direction. But uh, turning our attention to Mourinho. Um, and, and potentially Mourinho's bust then this weekend. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how Klopp sort of tackles this challenge because he, he, he struggled to get properly on top of it despite us being in good form when, when we run into Mourinho in, in, in the recent past. So, I mean, before that, what have you made of performances of late then? I mean, the you know, Newcastle game, the West Ham game, uh, is that a sign of the new normal for us? I'm hoping so. Um, I think, you know, this season now, the only team outside of the top six that we've actually lost to in the league is Swansea <laughs> in that one game, you know, so uh, <laughs> everyone's always saying how Liverpool struggle against the Minnows. We haven't this season at all, you know, this is something that Klopp has managed to actually fix from last season, you know, last season, absolutely superb against the top six teams, you know, managed to be unbeaten, I think it was the whole season against the top six, uh, whereas then they were dropping points against the teams below the top six on a regular basis. This season now, um, as Simon Brundish loves to say, uh, we're, we're beating the dross, you know, so that they've learnt how to actually handle these teams that are putting in the low blocks. Um, I just think the addition of Salah has just given us that one extra ingredient, which is just too much for them to be able to, you know, defend against. You know, last season, they, they might close off one one side and the other side we haven't quite got the the same attacking edge so you know it's it's actually been really really good against the lower teams you know i think the swansea game could have easily come out with at least a draw um it was just one of those days where they were exceptional defensively and it, it just didn't come off you know so you know going into the man U game we're expecting another low block and it's it's a bit mad really because you know Man United are still above Liverpool on the table you know they're still despite all the negativity behind Man U and all the positivity behind Liverpool at the moment end of the day Man United are still above Liverpool on the table and they're still Manchester United as well I think think people sort of forget that that there's that onus on them to be uh, yes something like what they used to be exactly but you know, I don't think Mourinho cares at all about any sort of no. pressure to to play attacking, exciting football. You know, I got a lot of Man United supporting mates, and one of them in particular, Twig, was going nuts the other day. I won't tell you what he said, but basically, he wants Mourinho out <laughs> because he just hates the style of football that he's brought to the club. So, you know, it's it's he's a he's a always been a manager who's all about the results and that's what he gets paid for and at the end of the day people want to win so you know I can understand that um, you know you can go too far the other way then and do an Arsenal and you're all about your principles and playing the attacking football or whatever but you forget to win the games you know so uh, at the moment Liverpool have got a good balance of the two uh, but you know no doubt about it this is going to be a really tough game for Liverpool. I'm expecting a really tight, uh, you know, defensive performance by Mourinho. Uh, but I'm just hoping that uh, with the current form Liverpool are in, they manage to rest a few boys in their midweek because of the 5-0 victory in the first leg. So, you know, I'm just hoping that draw now hasn't taken a bit of wind out of the sails 
in the momentum. You know, I wouldn't have thought so. Uh, you know, we've still gone through at the end of the day. So fingers crossed now, uh, go into the game positive. Yeah, I guess that's a, sort of one thing I left out when I was speaking to Carl, but I'm sure we'll mention it later on as well. But the fact that Mohamed Salah more or less had a rest for that game. Uh, mm-hmm. Firmino comes off, has a little bit of a rest. Mane comes off, has a little bit of a rest. Van Dijk doesn't get up, yeah. <laughs> more or less. Just, yeah. just, just can sit and watch. So you'd imagine they're going to be fresh, they're going to be focused. Um, and then I think, as you mentioned as well, uh, we developed a good rhythm against these sides. Um, say it quietly, but we're, we're, we're a team that doesn't actually concede that many big chances uh, mm-hmm. or goals at the moment, especially at home as well. So it's been. It's been a strong record for us, and and, and that's been really encouraging. Um, obviously, with the loss of Coutinho as well, people were wondering how we were going to re- we were going to respond. I think there's been some big, uh, big performances, but one player who's come into the midfield, um, yeah, albeit a bit inconsistently, but when he has played well, he's played really well. Um, Chamberlain uh, touched upon it with with uh, Carl earlier on. You know, people clowning him, laughing at him for the for the move in the first place. Um, yeah, but he got his move to the club he wanted to go to in centre midfield, um, and he's he's slowly proving that he can he can be very effective there. W- what have you made of his performances um, recently? And and do you think he's a nailed on starter then for for a game like the one at the weekend? I'd pick him. Um, I think his mobility and ability to carry the ball. Is, is better than any other option we have in centre mid at the moment. You know, so for me against Manu, I think that's the kind of guy that we need in centre mid to be able to then release, you know, the front three properly. Um, you know, it's, it's a stark contrast really to how Mourinho's been doing things. You know, as Carl was saying earlier, uh, Luke Shaw, I, I feel for the guy, you know, Mourinho's chucked him under the bus a number of times, you know, I think maybe he thinks that's a way to motivate the guy, but, you know, for me, he's he's not nurturing the youngsters, you know, there's Martial, who I think would be a great addition to Liverpool, I think he would thrive in this Liverpool team, you know, and I think he's been wasted, um, Rashford the same, you know, they got some really good youngsters coming through, and the reason why Oxford chamberlain decided to come to Liverpool was because he believed in this project with Jurgen Klopp, and that he's the man to actually develop him. And, you know, whereas Man United have got this kind of Galacticos approach to transfers, uh, you know, that they're buying the likes of Falcao and Di Maria and just it's all about the name and, you know, Pogba now and Sanchez now. It doesn't always guarantee that you're going to be getting the results. You know, don't get me wrong, all class players in their own right. But as you've seen with Di Maria and Falcao, it, it doesn't always work out. So, you know, for me, Liverpool are working in a different line to Man U as well, obviously. Uh, if you listen to the uh, Media Matters podcast, um, there was a few um, stats on there saying about Man United, how obviously they spend a lot more in wages than Liverpool. But despite, even after buying Sanchez, their wage percentage uh, compared to turnover is a heck of a lot lower than Liverpool's. So they can afford to do it, you know. So for Liverpool... Not only do they want to develop younger talent, but it's actually a necessity due to the budgeting issues, you know. So, uh, and for me, that's the kind of way that you're going to look at a long term progress as a club. Whereas, in my opinion, Mourinho has always been a bit of a short termist and, you know, fair play to him. He gets results. He's, he's got a couple of trophies on the quiet last season, which hasn't had much 
you know, pressing away. So, you know, even though Mourinho gets the trophies on board, I much prefer the way that we're doing things at the moment. I think it's more sustainable and at the end of the day, it's more entertaining. And, you know, that's why I'm in, you know, that's why I watch football at the end of the day. So back to Chamberlain, I think personally, I definitely start him against Manu. You know, he's the only one that can actually carry the ball with pace. Uh, you know, so for me, I'd have him in the midfield uh, along with maybe Chan and Henderson. Yeah, I was going to ask about the, about sort of the other midfielders. Cause I think that's probably the, I mean, if you look at it, the front three picked themselves. They're not changing. Um, you know, Touchwood provided any sort of injuries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Van Dyke's playing. Karius is playing. Um, I think sort of the indication that Mignolet's future is pretty much done now um, was him not starting in a dead rubber when you're five nil up in the Champions yes. League on your birthday. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much it, really, isn't it? Um, I'm so happy he didn't pick him as well because. <laughs> That the last thing we needed, right? Because it's either going to be Matip or Lovren beside Van Dijk. The last thing we needed was for them to have a massive panic and give away a silly goal. You know, we had a couple of wobbles uh, with Karius in goal, but if we'd have had Mignolet there, I think we'd have been back to panicking. And you know, we we just don't want any negativity at the moment. So you know, I think the, the clean sheet was key. No, for sure. But I think. So for me, really, the biggest sort of selection question that there is is, is that midfield set up? Then we've seen some impressive performances from Milner in, in recent weeks there. Um, Chamberlain, like we've been talking about, Chan as well, very reliable in that sort of role um, as the deepest, but also he's even pushed forward on occasion and, and been very useful in, in an attacking and a creative sense. But um, Henderson has had a few good games as well, but that that's four players there. So, I mean, you mentioned Chan, uh, and, and did you mention Henderson as well, in, in terms of who'd be your starting three? Yeah, for me, it's a bit of a toss-up between Henderson and Milner. Um, I've been really, really impressed with Milner recently, so he's kind of come out of nowhere into the reckoning for me. So, um, but But Henderson has performed really well in the last two games since he's come back as well. So, I don't know whether it's just because the team's working a lot better. Um, you know, we've got Van Dijk there now who's happy to to take up the role of passing from defence, which is meaning that the, the midfield is pushing forward into the positions that they should actually be playing from. So I don't know whether it's a knock-on effect of that that is leading to the improved performances of Milner and Henderson. Uh, but, you know, for me, Chan, I think, is our best midfielder, so he's a definite starter. I really like Ox in the team just for the mobility. I think we're a, we can be a bit one-paced without him, so that's why I'd pick him. Um, it's a toss-up between Henderson and Milner. I just fear that maybe Milner could get bullied uh, against, you know, especially if they play Fellaini and Pogba, who are both, you know, massive. Are you joking? Um, have, 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 have you seen James Milner in the past few past few games? <laughs> he, he's turned uh, into a. Uh, I think he was described as sort of like a. A um sort of a, a better version of Lee Catamol was was with, oh. with some of the challenges he's he's been putting in. He took out Maxi yeah. Rodriguez, well, not not Maxi Rodriguez, but he took out Maxi early in the game against uh, yeah Porto, and uh, he, he's left he's left a few tasty ones on a few players got, in I, recent weeks. He's done some of the best tactical fouling I think I've ever seen. Um, I, I heard the boys talking on one of the other podcasts, um, and they were just saying how 
they think Milner was getting away with the fouls because he's so nice and he's just so polite to the ref and he apologises and he picks them up off the floor. He was doing a Chiellini, uh, but, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, it was fantastic. The first, the first leg against Porto, he must have done about 10 fouls and didn't get a yellow card even from accumulation. I don't understand. So, you know, against Manu, that might actually be a really good thing to have in the team. But, you know, he, he's... I, I Personally, I think he might go for Milner, uh, for Henderson, sorry, because, you know, he's the captain and everything, and this is, you know, this is Man U. But, you know, I'd be happy for either of them at the moment, you know. So, for me, it's Chan, Chan and Ox and one of those two. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. And just before we sort of turn our attention back to sort of the league and uh, and Man United coming up this weekend, I mean, Champions League qualification to the to the quarterfinals. Some big names there: Juventus joining us, Real Madrid joining us as well, Manchester City. We'll find out who else joins us next week. But there's some big names there that we're you know, we're in that group again, which is obviously really positive for us. But just how far do you think we can go in that competition? Um, there's some big names there. Obviously, it's going to be tougher games. But you'd feel, I mean, opposite of what we've been saying tonight with Man United, really, all of those teams you'd expect would come out and try and play us, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, that's why I think, you know, we can definitely go all the way. You know, I'm not saying it's going to be easy and I'm by no means the favourites, but why not? You know, um, Liverpool have been building and building this season. You know, there was heavy, heavy rotation at the early section of the season and the, the sole purpose of that was for us to peak at the end of the season, you know, so, you know, we're building a really big momentum at the moment. Um, touch wood, not carrying many injuries as well, so that when we do need to make the little changes, you know, we have been able to. So, you know, I, I'm not scared of anyone at the moment, you know. One I was actually scared of was PSG and they're gone. So, uh, you know, Real Madrid, obviously, but for me, why do you want to qualify for the Champions League? is to play these massive games. So, for me, bring them on. Let's have Real Madrid next round. Let's have Barca next round and make Coutinho cry. You know, <laughs> although, in fairness, if Liverpool win the Champions League, you'll get a trophy, won't you? You'll get, you'll get a medal. <laughs> I'm not having so that, yeah. I'm not having that at all. I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm I, having him sitting in the stands watching Salah absolutely clown. Who, who, who would it be? I'm trying to remember Indigne, Lucas Indigne, Lucas Indigne, yeah. or, or was it Sergio Roberto? So, someone's getting yeah. done, but um, yeah, it's 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 going to be um, it's going to be interesting. I, I think I completely agree with you there as well. I mean, the team I wasn't sort of, I'm still not looking, not looking forward to playing really because um, I just have a bad feeling about them being dark horses for it. Is Bayern Munich? I just feel yeah, like yes. there's something about Lewandowski and Jupp Heynex. You just think that, and Robin, and of course Ribery, and sort of. Uh, what we've seen so far, anyway, in in, in these first matches, uh, the people who qualify for the quarterfinals is the old guard still got it in them. Really, uh, tonight yeah. Juventus really showed that um, in, in in key moments, and um, Real Madrid as well. Just more or less muscle memory at that point, beating PSG, mm-hmm. who just oh god just didn't didn't even turn up. So so disappointing. So yeah, I think that's definitely going to be an exciting sort of route for us uh, in, in the remainder of the season, but. Bringing it on to, on to United uh, and um, another sort of selection issue, not much of a, it's not too much of a question, I guess, but because Klopp seems to be intent on chopping and changing here, but um, which centre-back would you start alongside Van Dijk uh, for a game like this, based on you, you know we're going to be dealing with a team full of 
pretty big players, Sanchez you know, aside, and um, Lukaku up front. Yeah, I'm, I'm really torn, actually, on this topic because, you know, I, I was going to say Matip, right? Because I just know Lovren's prone to getting a bit too excited and he, he does dive in quite a lot and, and you make quite rash decisions. But the last few times he's faced Lukaku, he, he's really done a great job on him. So I, I really am struggling to make that decision. You know, if we got Matip in the team, our distribution from the back's a lot better. But, you know, we've got Van Dijk there to do that anyway. So uh, I'd, I'd probably just go for Lovren just because I think that Van Dijk should be able to rein in his brain farts. <laughs> that, that, that's the hope anyway. So, um, yeah, probably... Just Lovren because of what he's done recently against Lukaku. No, I, I, I do remember he's he's had, he's had a pretty good record against Lukaku. Is uh, kept him fairly quiet, and of course, then, then that sort of just furthers the whole sort of narrative around the you know, Lukaku being a flat track bully. I mean, Carl, what sort of? Um, I mean, Van Dijk, you, you sort of know what you're going to get from him, but um, would you be happy to see Lovren starting alongside Van Dijk? Do you think he, you could get? Um, target him. We, we, obviously, we, we've, we've seen him have tough moments this season, despite our recent good showings. Um, I think the interesting thing about Lovren is, yes, Lovren is prone to brain farts, but I think there's a, there's a wider thing about how many managers have trusted Lovren. Uh, managers who know a lot more about setting up a defence than, than I do. Um, I think if Ronald Koeman thinks you're the linchpin of his back four, I think you're good at something. So I don't know if it's his hardware or his software that's broken, but I think Lovren can put it together for 90 minutes as long yeah. as you sort him out. I think a, a big thing about how Liverpool defend and how Jurgen Klopp teams defend is it very much relies on your centre-backs in particular to be very good at one-on-ones, which is why Van Dijk is such a good signing for Liverpool and why he's going to be the linchpin of your defence for ages because Van Dijk has all the attributes you need to, to, to boss those one-on-ones. And I think Van Dijk against most strikers in the Premier League is a good matchup. So, to answer your question, um, would I be happy with Lovren as a target for one-on-ones when I've got Lukaku, Martial and Alexis Sanchez running at him? Yes. Yeah, I, I'd be happier with that than Joel Matip. I think there's going to be a lot of silly yellow cards in this game. Henderson's going to get one, Ox is going to get one, one of your centre-backs are going to get one, and one of your full-backs is going to get one. Um, but on the same side, Pogba's guaranteed to get yellow cards. Scott Matomne's going to get a yellow card, and Lukaku's probably going to get a yellow card as well. It's going to be a good fight. But it's going to be a fight. Yeah, I, I really miss those days as well, when a player would get a yellow card, and then your manager would just put the fastest, trickiest player you had on him for 10 minutes. <laughs> like, we had Coutinho for years. And we just did, we never did it. I was like, well, this guy's got a yellow. Just put Coutinho on him for ten minutes. I guarantee you, we'll get him sent off. And like, it's almost like it's it's it's, it's breaking some sort of unwritten code. I mean, you'd imagine Mourinho would be the sort of player who'd who'd want, who'd want to do it, especially if he'd he'd managed Hazard, you know, for, for a few years as well. I mean, you mentioned there that, that earlier on, Carl, that there's, there's not really much of an incentive for Mourinho to come out and and be expansive in his approach. Um, so. Are you expecting something similar to what we saw against um, against us at Anfield? Uh, I think I'm expecting I'm expecting a high scoring draw. I'm expecting a two-two. 
Uh, it, it, it's one of those games where whoever scores first will dictate what happens, I think. United are going to come at you for the first 15 minutes because they're at home and you can't be seen to be playing poor football in the first 20 minutes. But if you can withstand that, I think that's that until the second half. Yeah, and if and if Liverpool score in the first 20? Like, how do you I, see... I think Liverpool score in the first 20, United will chase that until the first until the end of the first half and then from there we'll, we'll take it from there uh, something I found really reassuring from both the Chelsea victories and the Crystal Palace victories is that Mourinho is getting better at using the bench he's getting better at getting more from the Manchester United uh, bench um, so in the Chelsea victory Jesse Lingard comes off the bench and scores and the Crystal Palace one uh, a lot of that comes from playing Marcus Rashford up top along with Lukaku as well and, and United you know, have more money have a bigger squad have a greater amount of personnel who can change a game than Liverpool. I think that's fair for me to say. But I, I, I don't I don't see United going full throttle and trying to win this game. I think that they'd be very happy with a 1-1 or a 2-2 and, and something that Mourinho can yell about to deflect attention and go, yeah, you know, there should be a penalty, but now we'll focus on Seville. Because <laughs> that's what Mourinho likes to do in this situation. Yeah, yeah it's, just, it's definitely going to be something like that, isn't it? <laughs> Sam, what do you expect then from the approach? I mean, you know, you know what you're going to get from us. I think it's pretty clear that Klopp's, uh, and I, I think one thing that it, that has been interesting over the sort of, sort of time that he's been manager as well is that when he hasn't beaten somebody first time round or even second time round, um, you can tell there's been loads of work about figuring out how to beat a specific team that plays a specific type of way. And we talked about sort of low block teams earlier on and how how we've gotten better at that in general, but. Um, if you remember even the way we used to play West Brom under under Pulis, where we just basically didn't let the ball go out of play and just didn't concede any free kicks, that was the yeah. that was sort of the main tactic. It was like, well, we're going to eliminate ninety percent of your game, see what you can do with it. And I think what what we've been doing really well in recent weeks, and we've been getting better and better at it, is we just vacate large areas of space that then the opposition worries about, and then we exploit them um, when they get dragged across. And I think that's what we're you'd hope we do to to Smalling and uh, Lindelof or if it's by, I can't remember if, if, if by is injured or not, but is that what you're expecting? What sort of game are you expecting uh, this weekend? Yeah, I think the, the the fact that Champions League is now, you're straight into the, into the group stages if you get the top four now, has actually changed the dynamics slightly. And, you know, I think a lot of the teams might now just be you know as long as we get top four we don't really care whereas before you know they were pushing to try and get second or third just to avoid that qualifier um you know so i think we, we can guarantee that Mourinho would happily take a draw and just move on with his life uh, but whereas i think klopp as you said i think he's desperate to get one over on him now you know it's, it's been a little while uh, and so I'm, I'm fully expecting liverpool to go for it and my hope is that you know Mourinho at home, there is an onus on him to, to attack this Liverpool side. So you know, even though he, he parked the bus at Anfield and you know did it successfully, you can't do that for ninety minutes at Old Trafford. You know the crowd will not accept it. They were used to so much higher a standard. So my hope is that if Liverpool can defend, you know the high balls coming in, Van Dijk's aerial ability is absolutely top notch. So hopefully we'll be able to keep Lukaku quiet. And then hit them on the break. And as you said, you know, they're vacating these spaces. And then there's a ball over the top to Salah and he's away. So, you know, I'm expecting that type of game. I'm expecting us to try and counter-attack uh, Man United. 
uh, with the pace on the wings. And I think we might just do it. And in, t- in terms of players from, from United side that you you are worried about, I mean, there, there's a lot of big names there. I mean, we mentioned some of the, some of the, the dysfunctional aspects of their team, but is there any sort of particular battle um, or, or key battle that you think is going to be a, um, a potential weak spot for us? Well, I was having a look on the Sky Sports website earlier, and it just goes to show the the perceptions of the two teams at the moment. Whereas they've pinpointed the key part of the game being Salah versus De Gea, <laughs> so you know it just kind of goes to show that that they're they're putting <laughs> so much emphasis yeah. on. That Man, is amazing. I, I was like blown away by that being the key battle. Is him a game of one v ones? Just constantly. yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? See, but. You know that that's mad. You know that that's obviously De Gea is our nemesis. You know we've we've had a ridiculous amount of shots against him, and I think we've had one goal from a penalty. You know in recent times, you know it's he's been an absolute wall against us. So I, I get why they've done that, but you know in reality, you know an actual battle should be outfield players that we're looking at here. Um, and one that concerns me, even though his form has been pretty poor every time I've watched him for Man United so far is is Sanchez. Uh, you know, the amount of times he did a job on Liverpool for Arsenal, I lost count. So, you know, he's someone, he's a big game player. You might call him lazy or whatever, but the, the way Mourinho manages teams is sometimes he sacrifices the rest of the team just in order to set up the front boys to just flat track bully the opposition. So, you know, as you were saying earlier, Carl, about uh, Pogba, you know, he's not bringing out the best in him, but he's kind of sacrificing him in order to try and get the goals for, you know, Lukaku and, and these flat-track bullies up front. So, yeah, Sa- Sanchez is the one for me that, that, that gives me sleepless nights. And guys, how do, how do we think uh, Man United are going to handle the press? Because they're going to have to have the ball for a, at least maybe that first 20 minutes. Um and from what I've oh, seen well. so far of Christopher Smalling. <laughs> oh, 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 geez. Um, the, the, the comment Sam made about how, you know, ball over the top gets it to Salah in your way really fills me with dread because Smalling and to a lesser extent Phil Jones are very bad at defending those high balls, very bad at defending anything what I'd quantify as a shin height pass. <laughs> <laughs> so anything that's not not quite on the ground and not quite in in heading range, they have real problems with that. They really, you know, there's the old defending adage of don't let the ball bounce. And Chris Smalling seems to do it a lot, which, you know, Mane, Salah, Firmino, it really frightens me. I think Firmino is underappreciated in the work that he does. Um, and I, we touched upon this a bit earlier in the pod about how you know, post Coutinho, how you had something to prove. I think Liverpool as a team is a lot more coherent, a lot more predictable, and a lot let you're a lot less prone to having those weird moments in the seventy fifth minute where you're chasing a game and you just start taking pot shots. Uh, I think now you are more classic Pep Guardiola Barcelona, where there is such a confidence in your game and such a confidence in the method that the manager is put forward that you're going to go, okay, we'll just keep pressing. We'll keep pressing. We're going to keep doing our system. And eventually the gap will be there. And then one of our front three will ruin you, which 
again, makes me really frightened for the end of this season and the start of next season. And I think we need to start talking about Liverpool as potential Premier League winners, potential Champions League winners, because quarter-final draw, no team wants to play you because you're going to score both. You're going to score in both legs, which is what no team wants. I don't. I don't care if you're Real Madrid. I don't care if you're Bayern Munich. I don't care if you're Manchester City. Liverpool can put four goals past you if you don't pay attention, and that's that's frightening. Not many teams in Europe can say that. So, so uh, yeah, I'm not. I don't mind if Reno shuts up shop. I don't want to lose three 0 at home. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, I guess then that brings us pretty nicely then onto onto predictions for the weekend. Then, so Sam, coming to you first, what do you think? I mean, maybe go head and then heart in terms of what you think is going to be. I think my head would usually in this game. It's always a score draw. You know, I always go for a one-all draw in these type of games as my usual go-to. But I just think, you know, that winning that first leg against Porto 5-0 was a really big bonus for us because Man United had the advantage of a longer rest before this match initially. But now Liverpool have effectively had a rest on the Tuesday. You know, they've rested the big boys. The other boys is basically a training match, you know. So now that that's been a bit of an equaliser. So for me, I, I I just have so much confidence in this team now, especially since Van Dyke has come in. You know, the anxiety of the defence doing something stupid. You know, when Firmino scoring a no look goal, he's he's looking back to check to see his defences and conceded one at the same time. That that old joke. You know, that anxiety is gone. So I'm I'm gonna go for uh, we're gonna go for a two one win. Uh, and for uh, Jurgen Klopp, knee slide in the corner in the 93rd right, minute. Right, OK, yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally, if Firmino scores a no-look goal against De Gea, I mean, that's going to be <laughs> surely Sky Sports coverage for a very, very long time. Carl, I will cry. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, what are you thinking then? I mean, I guess then head he- head and heart again. Then. And also, I mean, just out of interest, um, would you like to see Alexis Sanchez start the game? Would you like to see him start alongside Pogba? And would you like all of them to be in? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd like Alexis Sanchez to be the plan B 65th minute substitute. I think Jesse Lingard's done enough to have that right-sided slot alongside Lukaku. I think Lingard, you know, you can laugh at him about his handshakes and his dabbing videos and his Snapchat, but he has an understanding and a partnership with Lukaku, with Rashford, with Pogba, more so than the person who got flew in in January in Alexis Sanchez. So I'd, I'd like to see Lukaku, Martial, well, Martial was injured, uh, I guess, Chris Palace. So I'd like, to see, I'd like to see Lingard on one side and then perhaps Mata on the other. Um, my head says it's going to be a score draw. I, I'd like a 2-2 simply for entertainment reasons. Um, probably more likely a one-one, and my heart, heart of hearts, I'd really, I'd really quite like a one-nil. Romelu yeah. Lukaku goal. I think Lukaku, Lukaku's coming to a nice little run of form right now. Uh, he got his goal against Chelsea. He got his goal against Crystal Palace. I think this is now. He, he had his easy. You know, he's going to score goals for fun at the start of the season. He had his little lull, and I think now is the time where Lukaku's going to have his little. Oh wait, I can do this. I I truly am Manchester United's number nine, and I think this would be one of the one, a great way to to do that. So that that's my heart. My heart prediction is Lukaku, you're doing it again. Yeah, I think my sort of like worst nightmare 
when it comes to United. And it's, it's, it's just it's just based off games in the past as well, when you did have a, a much more cohesive team in some of the strongest days with you know Alex Ferguson at the helm as well, um, when there'd be really tight games, and then somebody like John O'Shea would get a bit, <laughs> would would get like a flick header. Uh, from a corner on the 89th minute or something like that, and, and that's how you'd win. Or even... On the flip side, I've never got over Dirk Kout's amazing hat-trick against us. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. So it worked both ways, mate. It worked the most, both the most efficient hat-trick uh, <laughs> absolutely possible. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, for me to weigh in just at the end there, Head says, oh, God, I, I, I think Head does say a score draw just because of just, I, I know he's... he's Bastards! Not he's not going to change his ways. Uh, Jose is <laughs> determined for it, and um, but Hart says, "Yeah, I'm going to go with. I mean, I, let's be a little bit more adventurous. I'll go with. I'll go with three-one because uh, I think there's going to be a three-one. A three-one. <laughs> I think there's going to be a late goal um, from Salah. Um, just basically, just just a punt up the pitch, and uh, I think you would have probably given everything, pushed forward by then in, in rare Mourinho style. So that you can tell that's very much Hart overhead, really. But um. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for helping me preview uh, preview this weekend's game. I'm sure it's going to be much more interesting than the, the Porto Liverpool game was uh, this week. That was a pretty pretty dry affair, but uh, you know, nevertheless, uh, good end result there. So let, hope for a good end result this weekend as well. So yeah, I'll thank both of my guests and um, thank you guys for listening. We'll, we'll be back next week as well to preview the next game and um, uh, yeah, just keep checking out AI Pro and all the uh, all the great content that's available on the. Uh, on the app, I strongly, strongly encourage you to check it all out, especially under pressure, uh, and, uh, Trev and, uh, uh, Jan Mulby, of course. So, um, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll be back, uh, next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.